Good evening, folks. You are listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. And tonight, the boys and I are going to be previewing the matchup for the Cats against the Alabama Crimson Tide on New Year's Eve. Fireball Matt is in the house. How are your holidays other than Southwest canceling your flight? <laughs> oh, man. What a, like, the past couple days. Um, holidays were good. I'm still, uh, I'm stuck up here in, uh, in New York. Uh, thankfully, yesterday, I was able to uh, book some backup flights, uh, not on Southwest. Um, I was supposed to fly out tonight back to Kansas City, but that got canceled yesterday. So I am crossing my fingers that my Delta flight tomorrow gets me to Kansas City tomorrow night. And then I booked another uh, Delta flight down to New Orleans for Thursday. So I'm going to cross my fingers and uh, hope for the best. But uh, I will say for everybody trying to get down to New Orleans, I'm, I'm hoping everybody is uh, finding you know some type of alternate way. Obviously, Southwest has really screwed a lot of everybody's plans. But I'm hoping we can uh, still see people down there and I'll be uh, – I'll be rooting for everybody. So, I am curious. At what point were you going to decide to just fly straight from Albany to New Orleans? If, you know, I, and I don't know if there's a direct flight. I doubt there is. But no, yeah, there isn't a direct flight. It's a smaller airport. Um, so I, I didn't really think about it. I also need to get back to Kansas City to drop some stuff off. I'm actually headed on a work trip right after the Sugar Bowl. So. I, uh, I have some stuff in Kansas city I need, but yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been, been a little, uh, crazy past uh, 24 hours or so, but I know I don't have it. I don't have it the worst. I can't, I can't really complain compared to others. So, um, but, uh, what about you? How was your holiday? You're out in New Mexico, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Hanging out with the in-laws. I've got a glass of wine in my left hand and, and my phone in my right for, for some cocaine Willie, but it's been good. We got to, to hang out with our niece for a little bit and there's been a lot of alcohol consumed and got to ski yesterday. So it was all, it's all good over here. Chef, how were, uh, how are your holidays? You didn't get any flights canceled or, you know, no delays. How's everything in, in Ohio, buddy? Oh, everything's grand, buddy. I mean, we're, we're fighting through everybody caught a little piece of that blizzard, but if it was me, I would have hopped a train to new Orleans by that point, you know, it'd probably get you there quicker. But Everything's grand over here. Kids got got what they wanted for Christmas, and I got a whole bunch of K State stuff. So everything's everything's hunky dory, baby. How late were you up assembling stuff for the kids for the next day on Christmas Eve? Oh uh, well, they didn't really want it. They're they're at the point where they've got all the Barbie dream houses they could ever want. So it's more like they've moved into the 21st century where they're like want tablets and electronics and stuff so it's getting a little bit more expensive but it's kind of easier it's kind of just wrap a box and let them have at it hey kids are weird hey i respect it gross kids are weird (laughs) kids are very weird but we we all love them or, or at least most of us do some of us do some of us hate kids i don't know not me um anyway so guys it's game week that kind of crept up on us pretty quick didn't it Yes, sir. Yeah. I, had to, I mean, who's who's not ready for some cat? Oh, I'm always ready for some cat football. I'm, I'm definitely nervous headed into this week, but 
we've got a lot to talk through tonight, and, and tonight we're going to keep it pretty pretty pointed. We're going to talk about the, the Alabama preview for the Sugar Bowl, and then we'll we'll finish off the part two of our bowl pickums. Again, sorry to the you know first five to ten bowl games that that were shown prior to last week because before that you know we we didn't get to, didn't get a chance to do our pickums, but we've at least got an update on the standings so far, and uh, we'll be able to go through the rest of the games I think through the second of January. But the Cats are playing Bama this week. We've got a big game coming up on January, not January, December thirty first. K State's playing Bama in the Sugar Bowl, and I believe it's at. What time is it? Uh, 11 a.m. Noon o'clock. 11 a.m. Noon o'clock Eastern. 11 a.m. Central and 10 a.m. if you're in the mountains. Uh, 9 a.m. if you're where Cali Mike is from. But we don't we don't talk about the, the Pacific time zone all that often. That said, we've got a preview for you. And, and I think just to start it off, I want to talk about a little quick overview of Alabama, the season they've had so far. And, and then we can get into some of the nuts and bolts of the offense, the defense, and then where we think maybe our areas of strength are compared to their weaknesses and vice versa and some keys to victory. Then we'll move on to our bull pick them for, for part two. But to start it off, Alabama, you know, it's a brand. It's a perennial powerhouse. It's a team that people know. It's a coach that people know in Nick Saban. It's a quarterback that people know. It's a Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. Alabama, by their standards, had a down year this year. They, they finished the season 10-2 and two overall. They missed out on an SEC championship game. They went 7-2 and two in SEC action. They had a very you know typical non-conference schedule and non-conference slate where they went 4-0. But the exception to that is they did win a 20-19 squeaker on the road against a common opponent of ours in the Texas Longhorns against a backup who is now going to be playing at Purdue. Um, but the Crimson Tide averaged 40.8 points per game this season with 475.7 total yards per game. Uh, 278 of those came from the pass and 197 of those came from the rush. So on the defensive side, they held teams to an average of 18 points per game and they uh, and 311 yards per game on the defensive side. So broken out, that's 186 passing yards allowed and 125 rushing yards allowed, respectively. That was kind of an overview of their season. If we dive in, let's talk a little bit more about the offense. Um, in aggregate, and if you look at some of the advanced stats via CFB graphs, graphs, which is our buddy Parker at Stats of War, he puts those out and on his website, he's got a lot of the EPA per play and, and things like that. Alabama's fifth nationally in EPA per play and EPA per game, uh, which is expected points added. And if you don't know what that means, it's essentially a measure of success and that defines the value of each play by the effect that it has on the offense's likelihood to score. So they were fifth in the country on the EPA side of the ball. They have a 44% offensive success rate, which ranks them 29th nationally, and they've turned the ball over eight times total. Um, that is more times than the Cats have turned the ball over this year, but, but that's still very low margin compared to a lot of the teams out there. Um, when we look at you know third down and fourth down, they're 46% on third down conversions and 60% on fourth downs. And I already talked about them a little bit, but we all know him. He's the 2021 Heisman Trophy winner, and it's Bryce Young. He leads that Crimson Tide offense at quarterback. He's completed 64.1 of his passes on the year. He's got 27 touchdowns and five interceptions and a total of 3,007 yards passing. And Young is projected to be a top three pick in the NFL draft. Um, 
before we get into some of the other weapons that they have on offense, what kind of notes or, or commentary do you have on Alabama as a whole? Or as we start to talk a little bit about the offense, um, what are some things that you've noticed in their offense over the course of the season um, that stick out to you as, as individuals? Yeah, I can start. I think the, this offense, when you watch their highlights and you've, I, I've watched a, a good number of Alabama games this year and it's a very streamlined offense that Nick Saban and, and Bill O'Brien they've put together that fits the skill set of Bryce Young. I mean, he's such an accurate passer, but he's also somebody that can get out of the pocket. And if you think that you're going to get a sack on him, he finds a way to get out of that situation to try and get a positive play. And that's a big reason why he's considered a top three pick in the NFL draft. He's considered a franchise quarterback in the NFL draft. The interesting uh, the interesting part about this season, of course, has been how are you going to replace Devontae Smith? How are you going to replace Jameson Williams? Uh, you know, two really good wide receivers um, from their team last year. And so this season, it hasn't necessarily been an, an explosive, uh, explosive pass game. It, it really has been balanced. And so from K-State's perspective, and we look at some of the teams that we've played this year that might have that type of balance, it's going to be interesting to see how Alabama game plans. Are they going to focus more um, from the rush situation, getting Jameer Gibbs involved, which I know we'll talk about here in a little bit, or are they going to try and air it out more, take advantage of um, Cameron Lee too, um, and, and, find opportunities to get ahead of our cornerbacks and, and get some of those chunk plays. Um, I, I don't necessarily think Bryce Young looked better this year than he did last year, but I do still think he is the top quarterback in the draft. Um, and, and so it's going to be exciting to see how he, how he plays against what I would consider to be. I mean, I, I do think we have one of the best defenses, not just in the big 12 and in the country. Yeah, I agree. The style that Alabama rolls with, I mean, when you think of the the Tide's offense over the years is that downhill, I mean, Najee Harris, Ingram. I mean, you just go down the list of running backs that they had, and they are so much more modern than they have been over the decade, maybe even decades that they're not as physical, but if you look at their O-line, you wouldn't be able to tell it because they are humongous human beings. And it is spooky to think that if they were to, and I I have to go back and look, but a lot of uh, defenses in the SEC aren't three down linemen. So I would love to see how they try to exploit our three down and maybe run at us. But, you know, they, they might not do that because like Matt said, Bryce Young, he's been airing it out. Uh, he's basically on par with what he did last year. Uh, maybe not statistically, but uh, stylistically. He doesn't have the weapons outside that you would think, but they still get it done. Gibbs, like you said, we're going to talk about him later. He's definitely a uh, – how would I – I mean, I compare him to Kamara, which is – I mean, a really good comparison. He He's more of a pass catcher out of the backfield than anything. So 
defensive line, I'm not too worried about them getting bullied. But if they were to turn that on, their O-line are so big, especially their right tackle. I mean, that guy is a wall. So I would like to see who's going to be on him. But offense in general, I think we our 3-3-5 is going to give them maybe fits early until they figure it out. And I hope we can get up on them early enough to enough to do that. For sure. I, I hope so as well. And, and Matt, you kind of alluded to it as well. But on the receiving side, the story for Alabama is that they are really balanced. They, they spread it out and they distribute the ball well. There's not really any one guy. It, it, there could be an argument made that there is a guy. But for them, there are really two wide receivers that have uh, 100-plus yard games. It's Ja'Cory Brooks and, and Jermaine Burton. Those two guys are the only two guys on Alabama's team in the receiving core that have 100-yard games. Ja'Cory Brooks only had one, and Jermaine Burton had one as well. So there have only been two games this season where wide receivers in the wide receiver room at Alabama have had 100-plus yard games. That's not because these guys aren't good. It's because they distribute the ball really, really well. They keep guys... They've got six guys with 290 plus yards on the season and 10 guys with 100 yards or more. So it's really interesting to see how they distribute the ball. The one thing I will say is about those 100 yard receiving games, Ja'Cory Brooks's came against Vanderbilt and uh, Jermaine Burton's came against Austin P. So you can maybe take those with a grain of salt, but the aggregate numbers, Ja'Cory Brooks has 623 yards on the season and Jermaine Burton has 590. So they're, they're not slouches by any means. And I don't want to discredit what they've done this year. It's just interesting that the 100-plus yard games came against Vanderbilt and Austin P. Um, but how many of those receivers are in the transfer portal now? Let's think about uh, it. Really, I mean, really the, only, the, only, the only guys that really stood out that had over 100 yards, um, Treshawn Holden is a guy that, that stood out. He's got the 331 yards on the season. Um, I was – shoot, I need to pull up. JoJo Earl? How many yards did he have? I, th- I think he had over. Okay. So that's two guys. That's two guys who are over a hundred yards on the season who are in the portal. Um, take that with a grain of salt. I don't have this up in front of me, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, the, the guys that we need to look out to as well on the receiving side, chef, you also mentioned it, Jameer Gibbs. Uh, and then their tight end Cameron Latu or Latu, however you pronounce it. Um, those are two guys that have also, uh, really been good out of, uh, you know, out of whatever formations they're using to get those guys the ball tight end or, or running back uh, out of the backfield there. Um, any other thoughts on the receiving core before we move on to the rushing side of the ball? I mean, I'll say one thing. And if you think about, you know, how we've been talking about the receiving core and who's been leading the team and the fact that, you know, they've only had, um, you know, a couple players that have had over 100 yards receiving. That isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think it is indicative that this team finds ways to win and doesn't necessarily have to rely on a certain skill player, which provides a little bit more difficulty from a K-State perspective in trying to prepare for their skill players because you may potentially be in a situation where, um, you know, one player that there could be five players that could end up having an, you know, a hundred yard receiving game against us only because from a preparation perspective, you don't necessarily know on our side where we have to focus. So that is a little bit of a scary piece. Um, But at the end of the day for again, how our defensive backs have been and then 
thinking about from the tight end position, making sure that, you know, we have the right guys that are covering, you know, I'm pretty sure that late two kid is like six, six, like he's a big, big dude. Um, yeah, you know, it will be a challenge to, to try and, and stop this type of team who has some good talent, um, just doesn't necessarily have that number one option. Chef, you also nailed it. You nailed it with Jojo Earl in 18 games. He had 303 yards, Um, but we're going to probably be facing him next year, depending on big 12 scheduling, because that guy chose TCU. Absolutely. But when I think of, which is weird because thinking of Alabama's receiving core, you guys brought them up. They dispersed the ball really well, but when you think of what's killed K-State this year, Obviously, Quentin Johnson, an elite-level talent, but he's also like 6'4", 215 pounds, and can run and can jump and go get the ball. Uh, who's the receiver from Texas? Uh, he's slender. Worthy. Xavier Worthy. Yeah. He's an elite-level speed guy. And, you know, our once Julius Brintz left the game, we kind of got discombobulated. And then thinking of other receivers that absolutely nuked us, I can't think of any. Maybe the guy from Texas Tech, he had a couple one-handed catches, but they are humongous receivers for Texas Tech. So when I look at them, obviously they are all five-star. They're all high four-star talent. They're all extremely talented guys. But physically, I'm not uh, scared of what I'm seeing on Alabama's side to the point where Julius Brintz is going to be outmatched speed-wise. Echo is going to be outmatched height-wise. So I'm not too concerned about that. But like you said, when you have an elite, maybe first overall talent at quarterback that can put the ball where it needs to be, it doesn't really – you don't really necessarily have to have receivers that are absolute monsters. But physically, I'm not too worried about what I'm seeing on the other side. It will still be a challenge, but – the tight end has kind of affected us throughout the season, but not to the point where this guy is somewhere. Uh, maybe if we were playing Georgia, I'd be a little more nervous about the tight end position, but this guy is not there. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing that I keep thinking about thinking back to when we talk about the physical, physical nature of who they're recruiting, who they get out of the portal, whatever it might be. We play that twice a year with Texas and Oklahoma. And we have for, for the last decade, uh, since they've since they've moved away from the 12 team conference and and so you've got consistent top five top 10 recruiting classes from Oklahoma and Texas we're used to playing those guys granted the record against Texas isn't indicative of that in recent years at least but the record against Oklahoma sure shit um, our team knows how to play against good talent and we've done well against it and you know that's something to just keep in the back of your heads it is Alabama but as far as who they're recruiting they're recruiting similar caliber guys to Texas and Oklahoma for whatever that is worth. Um, let's talk about the primary backs that Alabama has. So, so the two guys that are rushing the ball the most, it's Jameer Gibbs, who we've talked about a little bit, um, who's kind of a dual threat, both receiving and, and uh, rushing the ball. And Jace McClellan. Gibbs has rushed for a total of 850 yards on the season. He's averaging 6.3 yards per carry, which is pretty solid. And McClellan has 613 yards, averaging 5.8 yards per carry again a very respectable number there Gibbs has three games rushing for 100 plus yards and one game for 200 yards that that came against Arkansas earlier in the season and then McClellan he only has one game of 100 plus yards and that again came against Austin P similar to 
uh, the hundred plus yard game for uh, one of the two receivers that are the highest yardage uh, guys for Alabama on the receiving side. Um, what do y'all have to say? I know chef, you kind of made the comparison to Kamara. I'd maybe want to dig into that a little bit more um, as we talk a little bit about Jameer Gibbs and Jace McClellan here. Yeah, when I when I compared him to Alvin Kamara, it is a lot of the swing passes that he gets into, the lot of and it's similar to what Deuce does when he gets that option route and Bryce Bryce Young looks for him first thing and they're reading off of the linebacker and it and it makes me nervous because when I see him it's usually always on a linebacker and I have I've had these recurring daydreams where it's Khalid Duke trying to go one-on-one with him and it doesn't end well. Uh, out in space so I would avoid that at all costs because my dreams do usually come true I'm very uh, like a prophet in that sense but Alvin Kamara and him similar sizes I think Kamara's a little bit taller they're very fast even when he was at Georgia Tech those numbers that he were putting up were very Alvin Kamara at Tennessee-esque so bottling him is going to be very hard to do but He's not an in-between-the-tackle guy. And even those runs that he had versus Arkansas where he had the 200-yard-plus game, they didn't have Bryce Young in that, and they were running a lot of read option and putting Arkansas in a terrible bind where they weren't prepared for the backup quarterback being an absolute stud runner. And them running that read option game absolutely nuked them so if they bring that out, maybe, but Bryce Young is not willing to keep the ball to the extent that their backup quarterback, I can't remember what his name is. He was taking receiving reps, receiver reps in practice today for Alabama, by the way, just throwing that out there. Milrow. Milrow, Milrow. yes, you're right. And he was taking receiver reps. So he that's the kind of level of athlete we're talking because Alabama is – uh, shorthanded receivers, so I don't know if they're going to try to do something with that, be a little sneaky, little little weird, but that's what I've seen. I would just add, you know, we have been pretty good from a, a, a rush defense perspective this season. We face some pretty good running backs, and um, this is going to be a test. This is going to be a test for, you know, the our, our line and and – keeping you know if they're running inside the inside the numbers keeping those running backs uh, you know from pushing out into space um and then from the the linebacker perspective as well as you said you know Jameer Gibbs is a really strong cat pass catcher and and finding opportunities to to get yards after the catch and so it's going to be vital that we keep him contained. Um, we, we keep a player of his caliber contained and they do have a good duo there too. So it, again, it, this is a, an Alabama offense that has pieces of the puzzle that are going to be challenging. It's going to be a fun challenge from, from the defensive perspective for K-State. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how Alabama comes, comes out there and, and game plans against this defense. I guess just a a quick question for the both of you. When we think about running backs who are elite, who have run all over K-State this season, I think about Kendra Miller and Bijan Robinson and and even Roshan Johnson against Texas and TCU and those two losses. And and then uh, I I always forget the name of the guy 
who plays for TCU, but that guy also had a really, really great uh, game against us. Do you think with our success containing Kendra Miller to a hundred to under a hundred yards in the big 12 championship, do you think that we're going to see more of that in the game against Alabama? Or do you think that our defense is going to have a tougher time similar to the game against Texas and then the original, like the first game against TCU and, and the game against Tulane? Well, Alabama is going to have to get their yards somewhere, right? And we've had, you know, they've had three weeks, almost a month to game plan. And so I, I'm pretty confident in saying that they're going to find ways to to get those two involved to try and get some yards. And, and whether they're just small chunk plays, you know, five, six yard rushes or, you know, little screen passes out to the running back, they're going to find ways to get those two involved. Um, I I don't necessarily think those two players are at a caliber that of a B. John Robinson. I don't. Um, he He was at another level and he had to really lead his team, you know, on his back to, to some of those victories this season. Whereas for these two, it's not necessarily the case. So uh, my concern, I, I Alabama is going to have to get their yards somewhere. And so is it going to be with these two or is it going to be throwing the football or is it getting Bryce Young more involved in the, in the run game? That's, that's the big question. Um, you know, I, I would say, Bijan was the number one running back we saw this season. Kendra Miller was, was number two. And I would put Jameer Gibbs probably in that two range, maybe number three, um, just based on what I've seen from a highlight perspective. I agree. Bijan is on as another tier of running backs that anybody in the country would see. So, I mean, he's, he's the elite of the elite. Kendra Miller is a very, very, very good running back. I don't know if he's on the tier. He's not tier one, but he's definitely tier two. Jameer Gibbs, he that's the thing I was saying, that he's – this Alabama offense is so predicated on this finesse style. He's a very physical runner, mind you, when he gets the ball. But in where it hurts us, Bijan, up the middle. You know, and so far up the middle that we would go there and he would bounce it out and he would get those yards. He was – killing us that way. Kendra Miller in that first appearance uh, in Fort Worth, up the middle, breaking multiple, multiple tackles. Mind you, versus uh, Nick Allen, uh, a not healthy Deuce Green. Uh, who else was missing in that game? There was a couple other players missing in that. Josh Hayes missed a, a portion of time for that game. We missed a lot of tackles and Kendra up the middle. Uh the running back for Tulane. I mean, he kind of hurt us a little bit up the middle a couple times and their quarterback up the middle a couple times. It's very up, uh, very direct when you go against this three, three, five, when you try to stretch out and expect your offensive lineman to get to the second level to get pieces of those linebackers, it hurts you. So stretching against his defense is where it kind of goes right into our game plan. And that's kind of what Alabama likes to do. They like to stretch the ball, get get the ball into option route swing passes to the running back. I think he's their leading receiver. I think he has 42 catches on the season. And that kind of plays right into our hands. But where he stacks up, I would say him and Kendra Miller are kind of tit for tat right there, competing for that too. And everybody else is just chasing Bijan. So I, physically... And talent-wise, we've seen the best running back that we're going to see 
So I'm not too concerned. But mind you, Bijan, when we, we played him, he had over 200 yards rushing. So that doesn't bode well. But we can do this, guys. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not nervous at all. This is the least of all the games. This is the least one I'm nervous about, which is so weird. It is weird. And uh, the Tulane running back, for the record, it's Ty J. Spears. Uh, so just want to give credit where credit's due. We don't just want to call him the, the Tulane running back like I We recruited him. Cast, we but... recruited him out of high school, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's incredible. Um, Fireball Matt, did you have something real quick? I saw you come off mute. No, no. I, I'm okay. very okay. nervous about it. I don't know what, how Chef is getting through this. <laughs> I think I'm just nervous about a lot of things in getting to the game, and I haven't really – push my nervousness yet to Saturday. I mean, I guess the game, we'll talk about it, but I guess the game is like, hey, it's a it's a game. It doesn't impact our status that we won the Big 12. So maybe I should care less about the game. Don't care don't less. Quick question. Don't care less. <laughs> or care. Wait, maybe I meant care more. Should I care more about the game? You could. You could not care less. I could not care less. I always mess that up. You don't care less, but the game, like you said, we'll talk about it, but the impact of the game is different than it is for the regular season. This is for legacy's legacy's sake, not necessarily where like we're going to live and die. This is the end of the season. This is the cherry on top. Do we get the cherry or do we just get a lump of coal right on our milkshake? Well, quick question. Quick question for the both of you is playing. Does playing Alabama hurt our brand? Yes. (laughs) I knew somebody was going to bring this up. I mean, the sarcastic answer is yes. The sarcastic answer is yes. But I, this absolutely helps our brand. It's like at the end of the day, making it to this game and we're playing by far in the modern era of college football, AKA 2000 to now, this is probably the best program that we are playing in that time frame so it is <laughs> this can only help us right it can it can but the the problem is and we're getting we're getting way off of the outline right now but i like it is that if we win it's the sec motto is that they don't care they weren't they weren't into it so be it whatever they're a playoff or bus team and if they beat us, they're oh, they're the mighty Bama. What did you expect? K State's frauds. And I hate, I hate this pickle that we're in. It's not. If it was like us versus, I don't know, like USC or us versus Ohio State or something, it would be diff- It would be a different thing where it's a big brand, but it would be into the point where we care, they care. Let's battle it out. But if Bama wins, it's just they're the elite player and we didn't deserve to be there. And if we beat them, it's because they didn't care. And I hate that shit. I think we can both agree. We can all agree that if we win this game, we will be the most unbearable fan base on all of social media and in the entire area for a long, a good while. I, and that is going to include me being extremely unbearable. I mean, there's no, there's no question. Game. There's no question. I have a that. lot of family. 
I have a lot of family in Alabama on my dad's side. And it and I started the shit talking a long time ago. They they I think they blocked me. They blocked my number, so my text messages aren't going through. But I have been talking a lot of shit. And if it goes the way I want it to go, family reunions might I might not be invited because I will be, like you said, extremely unbearable. I will be I I'll have my Oh God! I don't even want to say it because it's just—it's just bad. I might get disowned. <laughs> well, the the one thing I will say to to talk a little bit more about playing big brands in the modern era—I don't know that we really appreciated it as much at the time when we played Ohio State in what 2003's Fiesta Bowl and L. Roberson. The whole situation there—he got the short end of the stick in a lot of different ways there, but. I don't think we've really in, in the postseason in a bowl game played a brand as big as Ohio state, Alabama. We played Oregon in the Fiesta bowl in 2012, but even then like this is, this is the marquee. This is the pinnacle as far as teams, brands, reputation, quality of team, because they've won so many freaking national championships um, in recent memory. So, so this is a huge deal. If we can pull out a win, I'm going to be just, fired up. I'm going to be insufferable on Twitter. I'm going to be insufferable to all sorts of people. Um, and they probably deserve it if I'm going to be insufferable to them, but on, sorry, on that note, Alabama, couple notes, they have eight offensive players in the portal. That doesn't mean that they're starters, but there is a starter in the portal. His name's Javion Cohen. He was a consensus four star. He's an offensive lineman. Who's a portal. He started 25 games over the past two seasons. Uh, another offensive lineman who we will see next year, his name's Timmy Brockermeyer. Uh, he's transferring to TCU. He's an on three consensus five-star. He was, I think the highest rated player in high school last year. And then you've got Jojo Earl, who chef mentioned earlier, wide receiver. Um, the backups for the most part on the offensive line that, you know, there's, there's going to be a couple guys who are going to have to step on, step up. It'll be interesting to see who they rotate in at that spot. Um, that Javion Cohen is leaving behind. But um, outside of that, you know, the the name of the game for them is, is can they appropriately protect Bryce Young in the pocket? And even then, Bryce Young's still going to scramble. So our defense is going to be going to have to be prepared to take Bryce Young, whether there's a pocket or not. Um, and we're going to have to, I mean, we're going to have some threats on defense in Felix, Brendan Mont, and Austin Moore, who are going to be providing that pressure on Bryce Young whether he's in the pocket or not. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to see if Javion Cohen's impact is going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, they're, they're going to lose a little bit of depth with Jojo Earl. Um, and I think there was one other guy, uh, Holden, um, who was one of the top 10 pass catchers for Alabama. He's also in the, in the transfer portal and has chosen his destination, but it's going to be interesting. We're going to see a couple of these guys next year at TCU. Um, any final notes on Alabama's offense before we move on to the defensive side of the ball? I'll say this about their O-line. I brought it up earlier. Um, the portal really – that's wide receiver and O-line is what really hurt them in the portal this year. Uh, I, you said eight, but I think that might be eight currently because I think they have lost like 12 in that first like two days. Yeah, it might be, it might um, be eight currently because I pulled it from on three. Yeah, and I think they're at eight currently, but I think they lost close to like 12 or maybe even more. 13. 13. Yeah, there are 13, 13 members of this this year's team who entered the portal. Um, and I think four of them the were portal. I think four of them were O linemen. So you lose a lot, you lose solid depth because I think 
three of them were too deep and one was like a freshman uh, that wasn't going to play, but uh, one starter and two backups. So O-line depth is going to be um, crucial. I don't know how they rotated their O-line, but you know, that that's something to keep in mind is if we keep sending fresh bodies at them, how they respond, but they're a right tackle. I've, I've watched him a million times. I'm trying to remember his name for the life of me. I can't, but he is a unit, and I, I like it. I like it, but I don't like it. Awesome. Moving on to defense. So I'll throw some stats out. I'll talk about a couple guys, and then I'll get your thoughts because I don't have as many notes on each individual position group for the defense. But Alabama has the 35th most efficient defense nationally. They've been, held, uh, they've been holding teams to a 40% offensive efficiency rate, which is fine. Um, they've held teams to an average of 18 points scored per game. That's very good. Uh, and right there in the ballpark with K-State on defense. Uh, and 311 total yards per game they've held teams to. Um, they're pretty good in most defensive categories, like yards per game allowed, points allowed, and opponent yards per play. Um, they, they allowed 4.4 yards per play, which is fourth nationally. But the guy that we want to really look out for, I'll name a couple names here. First and foremost, it's linebacker Willie Anderson. That dude leads the team with 10 total sacks. Um, and that's good for a tie for ninth nationally. I saw today that he and Bryce Young are projected one and two in the draft or one and three in the draft with Will Anderson being number one. So he's very good. He's probably going to be the best linebacker we face all season uh, without question. He's, you know, like I said, currently projected as a top three pick in the NFL draft. Um, He's got 51 total tackles and an interception on the season uh, combined with that uh, 10 total sacks. Then you've got, uh, defensive back DeMarco Hellams and apologies to anybody if I'm mispronouncing these names, but I haven't watched a ton of Bama this season. Uh, he leads the team in total tackles with 95, one fumble recovery and one interception. He's closely followed by uh, linebacker Henry To'oto'o with 89 tackles and two and a half sacks. I might have practiced saying that name a couple of times, Good especially job. now that I'm a couple <laughs> now that I'm a couple of drinks in. <laughs> and some other names to watch for. We've all heard this name because it's maybe the best name in football, but it's defensive back Kool-Aid McKinstry. He's got 34 tackles and an interception. Uh, defensive back Terion Arnold has 45 tackles and an interception and a fumble recovery. And defensive lineman Byron Young has 45 tackles with three and a half sacks on the season. The area where Bama has not done well this season, and they are a top, a bottom team, is on takeaways. They have five total takeaways or interceptions this season. That's not counting fumble recoveries. That's best for 126th nationally in takeaways out of 131 total teams. So we'll get to that and some of the analysis that we have uh, for how the matchup goes for the Cats and and the Crimson Tide. But what are y'all's thoughts on their defense? Are there any other names that I didn't mention that stick out to you? Let's just talk through it. Well, the first thing that I'll say is, and I know Will Anderson, you had said probably the best linebacker in the country. Um, I think he's the best defensive player in the country, and he's the best player in the NFL draft. He may not get drafted number one just based off of, I mean, the Houston Texans need 15 better players than who they have starting right now. 
Uh, so that's why you're probably going to see a quarterback at one. But Will Anderson is really an incredible player to watch. He's dynamic. He can get through to the quarterback with ease, has has those types of moves to get by the linemen. He's great from a coverage perspective um, and, and just has the lateral speed to cover guys. Um, he's a scary player. He's a scary player to try and, and, and game plan against if you're the K-State offense. Um, we're going to hear his name a lot. Uh, that being said, he's one player out of the defense. Um, and as you said, they are an efficient defense, the 35th most efficient, which is is fine. I like the way that you said fine. Um, the, the big thing is going to be the scoring piece, of course. You know, they have held teams to that average that you mentioned of 18 points, and we're going to need a lot more than 18 points to win the game. Um, so are we going to be able to get Deuce Vaughn some good looks and, you know, get him running, you know, outside the tackles? And is Will Anderson going to be the one bearing down on him? Um, it'll be it'll be fun to watch that. Um, and then from a de- uh, like a defensive back perspective, uh, you know, the the defensive backs have been pretty good for this team um, and, and matched up really well against some SEC wide receivers. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Malik Knowles, um, if he it sounds like he practiced today and he's going to be good to go for the game, um, which is, is definitely exciting. Um, but the matchup with uh, Malik Knowles and some of those defensive backs will be interesting to see how much space we can get there. Um, the, the other key thing and something, uh, you know, with the takeaway piece, yeah, they are not a good defense with trying to get the ball, um, from the offense. And that has been a kind of a strong suit for us this year, uh, not necessarily giving the ball away. Um, and so if we can maintain that and not give them extra possessions, that's going to be very helpful, um, to, to drive down the field. Man, uh, looking at this defense, you would think that they would just be turnover, like machines. I mean, they have all Americans on every level of the defense. Uh, Brian Branch is a name that I don't know if you brought up, but stud defensive back, versatile. He was a first team all American this year, number 14. He's a really good player. Like you said, I mean, just no turnovers. I think you have one interception on the entire season. Uh, a guy that roams the field. I don't know necessarily what positions they're playing. I know he's some kind of safety, but he's very versatile. Um, he reminds me of a thicker Josh Hayes. So if that's somewhere you can think about him. And then uh, the guy, other guy on the opposite side of uh, Will Anderson, who a lot of people are raving about. I think he's just a sophomore is Dallas Turner. That dude's a freak of nature too. Uh, just like a, a just a solid defensive end. I, for some reason, when I think of like their defense, I think of like two defensive tackles that are just mammoth, and then these what you would consider linebackers, but they pass rush almost every play. Is Dallas Turner and Will Anderson? Those guys are just studs. So, got to be able to protect uh, Will Howard in that pocket. Tori Levison, Christian Duffy, if you're going to come back next year, I would like for you to show out versus uh, two potential first-round draft picks in their their respective classes. This could be a big game for them. And if they show up, Will Howard and get time, he can eat. 
because like you said, they don't turn, they don't turn the ball over. So I don't know what the deal is with that, but we don't turn the ball over very often. So this could be right at our wheelhouse. This could be set up for us. I was also curious because I'd never really dug into it before. You think about when I think about Alabama's defense, I think about Patrick Sertan, honestly, and that dude, he had one interception in 2018. He had two interceptions in 2019 and I'm not seeing any stats for interceptions for 2020. So it's not like these guys are known for getting takeaways in their college career. It doesn't mean that they're not big, athletic, incredible defensive backs, but it is kind of interesting to think like, huh, maybe, maybe they haven't made their bread and butter on getting takeaways on defense, which K-State truly, really has. Well, I think the thing is with them is that the it's too can, uh, what's the word? Uh, contrasting defenses that K-State and Alabama run, they try to I, – I would love for you to even look up the sack numbers that they have on the season. You might have said it, but I zoned out. But the sacks that they produce doesn't give the quarterbacks even time for them to throw the ball down the field. And like you said, for the example you used, Patrick Sertan, nobody's going to throw at that guy. Why would you do that? So that that side of the field is shut down. So it's always the opposite side corner that gets all the work similar to Echo or Julius Brintz on, you know, given a given day that they don't even throw that at the guy. And if the quarterback is getting sacked every other play, there's not a lot of turnovers for, in terms of interceptions available. Well, they have 36 sacks on the year compared to like K-State's got 28 on the year. So it, – it is. Yeah. I mean, they, they've definitely gotten some more sacks, which, which are not easy to come by. So uh, that's a great point there. Um, so let's talk about the matchup. So it's interesting because we played a common opponent this year and they're called the Texas Longhorns, uh, which is interesting. Alabama won in a real squeaker in, I want to say it was week two uh, where they won 20 to 19 in Austin both teams played pretty evenly when you look at the stats. Um, there are a couple of extenuating circumstances on the Texas side where Quinn Ewers was hurt partway through the game and Hudson Card came in, who's now playing for Purdue. Um, you had a missed field goal. You had some extenuating circumstances, and I'll leave it at that because I'm not my father-in-law, and he would go into all sorts of detail about all of the different things that, that played a role in that game. But Alabama only had three more total yards than Texas at 374 to Texas's 371 total yards. They held Texas to 79 rushing yards, which is interesting. And one rushing touchdown, which was the only touchdown scored in the game on the Texas side. Um, and it took Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. They, they took them completely out of the game for the most part. Um, those two guys against K-State combined for 139 yards on their own. Uh, with two rushing touchdowns against the Cats in Manhattan. So being able to take them out of the game is interesting, and we'll see how that translates to Deuce Vaughn and and DJ Giddens. But Texas kicked four field goals in that game. They had zero receiving touchdowns, so Alabama's defense did a really, really damn good job of keeping Texas's red zone defense to field goals and that one rushing attempt where Bijan saw saw the pay dirt in the end zone. Um, So it's interesting looking back on that game I look back at Alabama's two losses and frankly, I couldn't really gather anything from those two losses. They were, they were two kind of bizarre games. The Tennessee game was a complete shootout. They lost by a field goal 
And then the LSU game, they lost in overtime because LSU decided to go for two. I didn't really see any glaring stats or anything that stood out to me that were indicative of like, okay, there's a trend here. Alabama does more poorly when X, Y, Z, right? So it's interesting. And I think when we look at this game against K-State for Alabama, I think a key for them defensively is going to be limiting K-State in the red zone to field goals um, and, and outside of the red zone, limiting us to three and outs and punt situations, limiting Deuce Vaughn and DJ Giddens to below 100 yards total rushing and limiting our passing offense um, because they did that against Texas and Texas never saw a receiving touchdown in the entire game. So it's interesting looking back at that game. Before we get into some of the specific strengths and weaknesses, is there anything else, whether it's that Texas game or any other games that they played this season, whether it's a win or a loss, that really stand out to you as far as the matchup with K-State is concerned? I'll I'll go ahead. Um, uh, What I will say, when I think back of their season and teams that they play, I mean, give them credit, you know, it's the SEC, the SEC West and the SEC uh, East kind of flipped on their heads this year. Usually the West is kind of like the prevailing power, and that's not what happened this year. They played a lot of shit teams, uh, but the teams that, that were decent, they they scrapped with them. And the game that comes to mind for me is the Ole Miss game. Uh, they absolutely had to work for that game. and. The running back for Ole Miss, they he was running rampant, and he had a really good game. And I, I can't help but imagine that Cooper Beebe versus uh, what's his name Dale, their their starting defensive tackle, is going to be a battle that I'm going to be watching a lot on who can control the interior of that offensive line, whether it be them winning the line of scrimmage or us winning the line of scrimmage. And if Cooper Beebe can do what he's been doing all year. Deuce is going to be able to find his way in through the middle of that, that D line to get what he wants. And if he could do that similar to what uh, we did versus LSU, where we went straight at him and he made a safety miss or a linebacker miss at the hole. And then it's sayonara. I would like to see that where Cooper BB does similar to what, uh, the Ole Miss offensive line does for their running back where that leaves those holes open. Cause that's really, when I think about it, the only rushing game that comes to mind versus Alabama, because even the Tennessee game, it was back and forth and it was Hendon Hooker doing his magic before he got hurt. And what was the other game? I mean, Bijan didn't really do anything versus versus them, but Obviously, that was with a different quarterback. So we'll see. But I think Ole Miss is what comes to mind. And hopefully we can do that versus them and come out with a W instead. I think the Texas game is a good indicator based off of also Texas playing TCU and Austin this year. Um, and, And thinking about how that game was very low scoring and it was a battle from a defensive perspective there were definitely some similarities between the TCU game, TCU, Texas, and, and Alabama, Texas. And for us, um, you know, we saw some of the success that we had against TCU in both games. And then obviously in the last game winning, 
Um, there, there's a lot to like about the potential, you know, if this does become a defensive matchup, you know, how, how are teams going to strategize to basically get the game, you know, what's going to be your game winning shot on this. Um, the, the Ole Miss game that you brought up, that was one, of course, they had to fight for. I think about their their two losses. You mentioned Tennessee, but LSU, um, I was not necessarily a big LSU guy this season. I don't feel like LSU looked great. And, I, I mean, from the first game of the season, and, and they have grown as a team, um, but I don't necessarily think of LSU as they're what 12th in the nation. Is that where they are? Um, so that, that game is indicative to me that we're going to have a shot in this one because I think we have better quarterback play. I think we have from a defensive perspective, if we're very similar on the defensive side of the ball and having good pass rushers and a strong linebacker, um, with, with our, you know, going with our defensive backs. So the, the matchup for me with Alabama, I think of that LSU game as to the keys, the key to victory for us. If we can emulate how that game went, I think we would end up winning the sugar bowl. I will say in that game with LSU, how they won was they, I mean, their quarterback play, he was very, dual threat. I mean, he led the team in rushing and almost almost 100 yards rushing for them. He was very efficient and what killed Alabama was one playing on the road, two Bryce Young absolutely shit the bed that game. And I give credit to LSU's defense. Their young defensive end, I think it's Harold Perkins. He yep. was a stud in that game, similar to what he did in the Arkansas game, but it's just when you put pressure on Bryce Young, get them out of rhythm, the good things can happen. Now, that's a lot saying to get Bryce Young out of rhythm, but that was probably one of his worst games of the season. And LSU came out on top because of that. I don't know if uh, Will Howard will be able to do the dual threat aspect that uh, Daniels did that game. That game. But if we're sprinkling a little Adrian Martinez, baby, Maybe that maybe that will substitute, and maybe that's what can get us over the top. So I, I like where Matt's head is at, but we need efficient quarterback play. And if Bryce Young's not all, if his heart's not all the way in there, and he's thinking about the NFL, shit, maybe we get that done, baby. I mean, credit where it's due, though. The fact that they don't have any opt-outs for this game, that says a lot about the culture that Saban has built there, knowing that typically they're – they're playing for a national championship right now. And even in the year where they're not, they're not having any opt-outs. Yeah. They've got a lot of transfers, but at the same time, you've, you've got to give credit where it's due there. So Bryce Young may be thinking about the NFL, but not enough to opt out. So you've got to give, give him a little bit of credit there for whatever that's worth um, to talk a little bit more statistically. So, so strengths wise, Alabama offensively, I think that's where they really, really shine. We've talked about Will Anderson, but on the offensive side of the ball, they're top 15 in almost every category, whether it's points per game, yards per game, points per play, yards per play, whatever it might be. Um, K-State's defense, on the other hand, is closer to top 50 or so nationally in those categories, but we really shine as top 25 in both points per game allowed and points per play. So that's an interesting tidbit there. 
Alabama's third down efficiency is also 46% and fourth down is 60%. So that's good for 16th nationally, I think, in both categories. K-State's 24th nationally in opponent third down conversions and 34% success rate against our defense on third down and a 44% success rate on fourth. So defensively, we're going to need to step up in those situations and get crucial stops because Alabama is very good in this department. Um, Any thoughts on that offensively before we talk about some of the defensive strengths that they have? Offensive strengths that they have? You know, I mean, it's just, they're very balanced. Like you said at the beginning of this, it's, you can't ever put an identity on their team because they could do everything, not necessarily to the elite level, but when it's called upon and that's the strategy, that's the flow of the game, they can find their rhythm in it because you can look at so many different, you go down their, their game log of each game. I mean, Mississippi State, I think they have like, 40 yards rushing as a team, but Bryce Young has an elite game and carries them. I don't know. I don't remember the exact um, flow of that game, but they beat the dog shit out of Mississippi state and forced them to throw 60 times, even though I'm pretty sure Leach rest in peace would have done that anyway, but it's just, there's so many different flows that they have where it could be Gibbs one day rushing for a lot or Bryce Young throwing for a lot. I don't know what we're going to get in this game, and that's what's really exciting because I don't know what we're going to get, and maybe K-State has an impact on that, forcing them to do what we want them to do. And the last point that I'll make is you mentioned their third down and fourth down efficiency. A lot of that is the Bryce Young factor and being able to extend a play, find an open man, and get get the first down in, in both of those situations. And so it is going to be important to make sure that on those third and, you know, the, the third and long plays are the ones that really just kill momentum. You know, your thirds and nines, thirds and tens, where you've been making really good plays on those first two downs and Bryce Young is able to get out and, and, and make a play. And, and if you can make those types of stops, it, that's going to really increase that momentum and, and get that momentum rolling. And that, that'll translate over to all facets of the game. So the, the Bryce Young factor is there, you know, he's, he's a smart player, very smart player. And the defense is going to have to really play. I, I don't want to say otherworldly because I don't think that's fair, but they're going to have to play at the level that their best level to try and contain him from, from making those types of plays. So if you flip the coin and we talk about K-State's offense, so our third and fourth down efficiency, it's about 39% and 57, 58% respectively, third and fourth down. If Alabama's defense holds in those scenarios, which they've proven that they can, and I'll get to those stats in a moment, it's, it could be a long day for the Cats. Um, and to your point, Matt, those could be momentum killers. We are 37th nationally in fourth down conversion percentage and 54th nationally in third down conversion percentage, which is not great. Um, And Bama is 11th nationally in opposing fourth down conversion percentage and ninth nationally in opposing third down conversion percentage. So they have a very clear advantage there when we're talking about their defense versus our offense. 
Um, so it's interesting looking at both sides of the coin there when we're talking third and fourth down efficiency um, for both our offense and our defense in comparison to their defense and our offense. Um, so I, I guess just a couple of other stats here. Um, they're 11th in the nation in sack percentage on defense. So sacking the quarterback on around 9% of total snaps. K-State's 27th in sack percentage on offense. So still very good, um, but allowing sacks about 4% of the time. So um, they're just, they're a very good defense and offense. It's, it's hard to, to mince words there, but it, you know, they're very good <laughs> across the board. Um, any final thoughts there before we move on to some of their weaknesses and where teams have had some success against them? Well, one of the keys is, is taking advantage of opportunities that the defense is going to give them. And our offense, the last, the back half of the season has done a really good job of finding those opportunities, you know, getting some third key third downs and, and early on as well, getting a good chunk four or five yard plays on first down that make that next second down a little bit easier. And, and one of the big things is going to be keeping them off of Will Howard and letting Will make his, make his moves and take advantage of those defensive gaps that they may have. If they start getting to Will Howard early, I don't foresee a good outcome um, because our offensive line is not able to necessarily contain them. You know, we've seen some games this season where our offensive line has struggled, and I'm hoping with this three, four-week gap that we've had since our last game that they they feel good. Um, you know, they're at 100% and, and they're ready. Um, I'm pretty confident that they will be. Uh, but the key is going to be making sure that we keep Will Howard upright and we give him enough time to make some good decisions in the pocket. Okay, I got something for I got I got something for you guys. Now listen to this. Who behind Deuce Vaughn? We're we're a semi decent rushing team. Behind Deuce Vaughn and Gibson is our leading rusher, other than a quarterback. Behind Vaughn and Giddens? Yeah. Uh, Malik, Knowles. Malik Knowles. Malik Knowles. You guys are <laughs> fucking you guys are fucking smart. Now, how many times has a Alabama defense faced a rushing attempt from a wide receiver? Can you guys tell me that stat? Two. I've got one. <laughs> really? They've got I've seen versus LSU, I looked through their whole log. They accredit one receiver for the whole season. I'm only counting SEC teams because Austin P doesn't count and Utah State does not count for me. So Texas and all the other SEC teams, only one time has a wide receiver taking a rushing attempt. Wow. Versus Alabama. And that was LSU, and it was a six-yard rush by a wide receiver. I don't know if they've – they're obviously game-planning for that, but that is a dynamic that I haven't thought about, and I would love to see what Malik Knowles can do on a jet sweep or a Phillip Brooks on a jet sweep versus this Alabama defense, making them have to decide what they're going to do because we run a lot of different veer action, basically, with wide receiver possibly getting the ball – running back possibly getting the ball, quarterback possibly keeping the ball. So that's something I'm going to keep my eye out for. 
and versus this defense. So how successful was how successful was that jet sweep? Six yards. Oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, I mean, Malik knows is Malik Knowles has housed it what twice on jet he's sweeps, got, three times. He's on got jet three sweeps rushing season? touchdowns on jet sweeps. I'm pretty sure it's the one yeah, first play yeah, of the South season. South Dakota, yep, South Dakota and uh, TCU twice. No, two versus Kansas. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and he almost took one to the house. I was, and, I was complaining TCU and KU there. That's my bad. Yeah. And he almost took one to the house, like you said, versus TCU in the Big 12 championship game if he wasn't dragged down, and that's the play he was hurt on. But, I mean, it, we've been very, very successful with the jet sweeps with Malik Knowles and even Deuce Vaughn. So it's, it's just something to keep an eye on, and I, I was looking for that while you guys were talking, and I found that very interesting. You know, and we've been pretty successful with those. Like, they when we, when we run them, they're successful, and we've – Bit more reserved than I would anticipate this team being with that. Um, I kind of hope that Klein cracks open the playbook and unzips his pants a little bit and is like, hey, here's some jet sweeps. We're going to get Malik Knowles involved. We're going to get Philip Brooks involved. Whatever. Let's see how it goes. And honestly, if we average six yards a carry, that would be like a pretty good winning formula, right? Like, I mean, if we're getting six yards on a run play on first down and we're going to have like a second and four, that changes, you know, some of the, the, the play calling aspect because you don't necessarily have to throw the football. Um, I, you know, so I, I would hope we would have more than six yards on those jet sweeps, but at least they're not getting blown up in the fucking backfield. Right? For sure. Like six yards is still good. And they're and they're averaging four point four yards per play as a defense. Alabama is so. Uh, to your point, like that's critical. If we're able to do that, if we're able to get really anything above four point four yards per play, we're going to have a pretty damn good shot to to win the game. Um, looking at some of the weaknesses, so so where some teams as we're you know kind of transitioning here, where some teams have had some sex success with them. Frankly, in their two losses, like I talked about, there aren't a ton of things that you can point to where this was an egregious error that Alabama made where they lost this game because of X, Y, Z. Um, maybe in the LSU game, there are some nuances there, but in the Tennessee game, it was a shootout. I mean, it was just back and forth the entire time. And then Hooker was fully healthy at that point in time. So you can't really point to anything specifically. Um, that said, if we talk about their rushing defense, they're 35th nationally. That's still pretty good, but it's not as good as I would anticipate Alabama being, just thinking about Alabama. Um, it's 131 yards per game allowed. K-State is 17th nationally in rushing yards per game with 202 on average. So I think that's a very clear advantage for the Cats with the threat that you have in Deuce Vaughn. Being able to rotate in with DJ Giddens and have him get those trunk plays that he has in those in those situations where he can get six, seven, eight yards. Um, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, like getting those chunk plays, get chunky with it. So hopefully we can have that happen rushing wise. Um, they and we talked about this briefly, but they turn the ball over more than K-State does, not by a ton. They have eight turnovers to our six, and their defense has only five total interceptions on the year to K-State's 16. And so when you combine that with seven forced fumbles, for Alabama and eight forced fumbles for K-State's defense. We double their takeaways two to one. We got 24 to their 12 on the season. So if K-State can continue to do what we've been doing all season, 
and own that turnover margin, which fun fact, K-State is fourth in the nation in turnover margin. If we take advantage of that on both offense and defense and we can get points off of those turnovers, I think Alabama could have a pretty tough day. Again, it's going to come back to a lot of those different things that we talked about, making sure that we can contain Bryce Young when the pocket collapses and he's scrambling to try to get a first down on a third and 16. Some of those different situations, we're going to have to make sure that the defense is stepping up there. But the Cats rank 12th nationally in takeaways per game or fourth in uh, in turnover margin, and Alabama is 126th out of 131 total teams in takeaways. And I just think it's a matter of us continuing to do what we've done all season. So I'll open it up to y'all for, for commentary there. Well, the turnover piece is, is a huge key because I really think we're going to need an extra possession against them if possible, if we can get two out of that, just from a takeaway perspective, um, it, it's going to be very important to, to try and take advantage of that situation um, we'll talk in my prediction here in a little bit as to why I think that is, but, um, the, the takeaway piece has been a, a key factor for us in all of our games in big 12 play. And we cannot let that go, go to zero in this game on Saturday. We have to find a way to get the ball, knock the ball out for a fumble. You know, maybe Alabama makes a mistake on a return, you know, maybe Bryce Young throws, throws, you know, makes a bad pass or, or we make a really good play, but it's going to be very important for us to try and, and get an extra possession against these guys if we're going to have a shot to win. It's it's crucial to get the ball. And I don't remember how much you said, how many turnovers we had. Uh, I could probably think almost of all the turnovers we've had, like off the top of my head, uh, between between had, fumbles recovered and interceptions, it's twenty four total for the K State defense. We two no, per game hold on. on average. Hold no. How many have we had? How many turnovers do we have? Like how many eight how many, or six? We've, six. Is it six or eight? Because I'm trying to think of the top of my head. Six I mean, I know six. we had one six. Missouri freest fumbled the ball at the very end of the game. I mean, we don't have to do this. I'm, I'm thinking too much about it. Uh, but like you said, turn, taking care of the ball is very essential, especially what what flipped the momentum in that TCU game. It was the fumble on the muff punt. If we could – we run away with that game versus TCU if that Phillip Brooks doesn't muff that punt. If it's very momentum zapping or fulfilling, if we get – a turnover versus the almighty Heisman winner, Bryce Young. What does that do for our defense? How hyped does that get? How strong does the K-State fandom in the Superdome explode, really? And it just feeds into the team. We could do this. I don't know what their fumble numbers are, especially from the running back, but if we could – I don't know if we're necessarily going to be able to get to Bryce Young, but – He's a shorter run. He's a shorter quarterback. He's going to be trying to throw over the middle. He's going to be trying to throw out to Gibbs a lot. If we can get our hands up, tip balls, maybe we get an interception that way. That's how I'm predicting it. I'm going to save that for our prediction, but I, I'm predicting we're going to get a tip ball. Jalen Pickle is going to tip, uh, get a tip pass. 
and we're going to intercept a ball and it's, it's going to be glorious. And that's where all the momentum comes. And that's when we run away with it. I love it. So we have four interceptions on the year. And I think for fumbles lost, we have six total fumbles lost. And I think two of those were forced fumbles. So it's six total takeaways on the offensive side that we've given up this season. Because Rubley had an interception. Will had an interception in the TCU game. Uh, Adrian had a pick in the Texas game. And Will had a Will had a pick at some point. Will had a pick in that TCU game. And where was the other one? Did he have I another? Don't... Did he have he another? Has two, he has two on the season. I don't remember where it's at though. Hmm. Hmm. He didn't have one. West, he didn't play West Virginia, the pick six. Ah, he threw a pick six. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. And then what? Second well, second drive of the game for West Virginia or whatever. Yeah. First drive. Yeah. It was their it was their second because we were up 14 to nothing. And then we threw a pick six when we were up 14 to zero. And he and he returned it, obviously. And then they scored on the offensive touchdown the next their next drive to right. tie it back up at 14. Right. But yeah. Frias had Frias had a fumble versus Missouri. Deuce had a fumble versus Texas Tech. Will I mean uh, Adrian had a fumble that got recovered by Texas. Um, he had a fumble. Didn't he have two fumbles Did in he... that game? But I think only one was recovered by Texas. Okay, so he had two total turnovers. Yeah, he had the pick at half, right before half, which killed. And then the fumble to end the game. Tech, Deuce had one versus Texas Tech. And then I'm trying to think of we, – we were clean versus Baylor. We were clean versus West Virginia in terms of fumbles. We were uh, – did he fumble versus – no, he didn't fumble versus TCU. It's a, it's a lot of lot of dead air on this podcast, but I, I love it. But, you know, that's – if we can think of it right there, that means that we're doing it really good as a team. So yes. if we could keep that going and, I mean, put that pressure on Tech Alabama, man, imagine the pressure of being down to Kansas State in the fourth quarter. Ah, uh, I don't oh – man. <laughs> I don't know think if I the, want them with their of, backs against the wall. I think I just want them no, to be down by 40. The I want pressure them down by 40. With, when have they when have they had the pressure to have to they had one drive versus Texas Tech where they had to go down and score. That was it. Any other time that there was pressure where it was a tight game and they had to go down and score, maybe Ole Miss. Ole Miss, they might have done it too. But and Texas. That's it. Have they been we down can by do this, guys? Have they been down by more than two scores all season? Mm-hmm. Mm. What was the Tennessee? I don't know if they have. I think they were. I think they were up. They were down by multiple uh, versus Tennessee because they had a a scoop and score to cut it to like seven. Right. I mean, if you can go, if you go up two scores on them, though, I mean, I don't want to manifest that because I don't want a TCU part one to happen again, but. Tennessee was Man. up by 18 points. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. But that was in the first <laughs> that was in the first half though. It was in the first oh, half. Oh my god. Yeah. 
I really wish I we would have had an Alabama guy on here tonight. And that would have been, man, this would have been good with an Alabama person. Oh, we would have, we would have, we would have talked some shit. It would be great. Uh, uh, I tried, I tried, I tried. They're busy figuring out the water situation there. Like all of these states have, they don't have any water. Oh yeah, do they have a boil advisory there, like they do at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis? I mean, it would be safe to assume yes, right? Because it's the state of Alabama. Alabama's water makes Flint water, Flint, Michigan's water look like Fiji water. Oh my! (laughs) Oh my God! And on that note, we're going to move on to keys to V for the cat. So I've got a couple things listed here. Guys, feel free to chime in as as you would normally. Um, the, the four things that I have listed here, and yeah, I couldn't limit it to three because I did some more research and then I realized that red zone efficiency was important. But I'm going to start with the red zone efficiency and work my way back. So I think the first key to victory for the cats is going to be taking advantage of our red zone efficiency. We are 11th nationally in red zone efficiency on offense. Alabama on defense is 45th in opposing red zone efficiency. To take it back to that Texas preview, the one area where they really shined was in red zone efficiency. So they can do it. They have done it. If we can limit that and take advantage of it and and keep them to 45th or below as far as nationally with their, their whole red zone efficiency on defense, I think we will do well there. Um, the second thing I have will be getting takeaways and capitalizing on them. I've talked a lot about this already, but the Cats rank fourth nationally in turnover margin, and we statistically own this category on all fronts in comparison to Alabama, both offensively and defensively. Alabama's 96th nationally in turnover margin, and you combine that with their 126th in uh, in takeaways on – it's just – I feel really good about our chances there. We got to force Bryce Young to throw into bad scenarios. We've got to capture him when he is evading the pocket, when the pocket collapses, and we need to turn those turnovers into points. That will work well in K-State's favor. The third thing, we've got to run Deuce and DJ, and we have to have success on chunky plays. We've got to get chunky with it, to use or to use Chef's terminology there. Texas lost in large part because Alabama limited their rushing game and K-State has a clear advantage in this department because based on average rushing yards per game in comparison to Alabama's defense, we own that category in comparison to them. We're top 30 in all rushing statistics nationally and Bama's defense is kind of all over the place. They're not really number one in any category and they're kind of like 40th or 50th in some others. So I really like our chances if we run the ball and we do well with it. Last but not least, we got to step up in third and fourth down scenarios because this is a clear mismatch for K-State's defense in comparison to Alabama's offense. And also when, when our offense is on the other side of the token going against Alabama's defense, this is a clear mismatch for us. So if we can hold them on defense in third and fourth down scenarios and we can get those plays and we can squeak through on third and fourth down on offense, I think we can win the game. With that, I'll throw it over to y'all for any specific keys to be that you have for the Cats, and then we'll move on to our predictions of bull pick Bob, do you work for Chris Kleiman? Because that sounds like if he's in with his assistant coaches, those have to be the four things, right? Like the red zone efficiency key is key. We cannot 
if we are in the red zone, we have to score. And I'll even go so far to saying we're not going to be able to win this game with field goals. We, we need to be, if we get inside the 20, we have to be scoring touchdowns if we're going to win this game. Um, I don't necessarily think that if we flipped it, you know, I think Alabama, if they're getting in the red zone, they're going to find a way to score. And so we're going to have to, we, we have to take advantage of that. Um, I know I mentioned third and fourth down scenarios. Um, that'll be extremely important to, to keep them off the field and not making big plays. And then the, the other key thing you mentioned with Deuce Vaughn and, uh, and DJ Giddens, we have had games this season where the run game has been a struggle and they have gotten going later in the third and fourth quarter and made some big plays. There are many times where we aren't any, we aren't getting anything inside the numbers. And in this game, we cannot have a lull like that. The first half cannot be a struggle running the football. We have to get some good plays early, take advantage of some opportunities against some of their um, some of their seven, you know, seven players inside and and try and get Deuce Vaughn some space, try and get DJ Giddens some hard runs. Uh, that's that's going to be important. We can't have any lulls in the rush game. I, I love all those keys to V. I think you guys have laid the map for every avenue of victory. So there's no more keys. So I will say this. I want points. I don't want – I mean, I am all for being aggressive and going for it on fourth down or so be it. But I have a prediction that we will score 33 points, and maybe 11 of those are field goals. I'm not opposed to that. Let's just get to 33. Um, I would and as you talk. all know, as you all know, <laughs> real quick, Matt, when the Cats score 30 or more points, they are undefeated going back to the TCU game last season or Texas Tech game last season. Ty's, 13 Ty Zittner, 11 for 11 in the Sugar Bowl, MVP for Ty Zittner. Chef, can you please explain how – we will get 11 points kicking field goals. I said we get 33 points kicking 11 field goals. Oh, okay. That makes, well, that does wow. make mathematical sense. <laughs> if we kicked 11 field goals, I would probably rage because that would mean we could not put it together offensively to get in the end zone. Like what's the fun in scoring 11 field goals? Iowa doesn't kick 11 field goals in a game. We get a win though, boys. A win is a win. <laughs> I mean, you're right. <laughs> that would be the most underwhelming victory ever. I mean, if Ty Zettner's kicking 11 field goals, like, I mean, that's amazing. That's, but... that's a sickos committee game for sure. <laughs> it really sure. is. And, and he's, oh got, he's automatically drafted in the first, he's first overall pick. Because, I mean, he that would make him 19 of 19 on field goals this year. No, 20. He'd be 20 of 20 field goals on this season. The greatest season as a kicker anybody's ever had. He'd be the greatest special teamer in K-State history because he's punting, he's kicking off, and he'd be 20 for 20 on field goals. I know he's not going to kick 11 of them, but... In my scenario, he does, goddammit. God, how unbearable. 
even more unbearable would we be if we beat Alabama and we can say we didn't score a touchdown against them think of, we still beat them. Think <laughs> of, like, the fan art where you have Ty Zentner, like, literally holding up Alabama on his shoulders. <laughs> like, I just beat them single-handedly. Oh. <laughs> we'll I look out. We'll look out for now. our... We'll look out for our friend Will Dubois, aka to the Ville, to create some graphics for that because that would that would be glorious. Uh, with that predictions, boys, Chef, lead it off. Yeah, I've got the the score thirty three to twenty eight. Cats, sugar sweet, we're sweet, and it and Scott on Bosco's boys brought up a very good point. If we win this game. This is the greatest season in K-State history. It might not be the greatest team. We might not win head-to-head on the field versus 98 or whatever, 2000, 2012. But this would be the greatest season in the history of K-State sports football-wise. It would be stupendous. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But if that, if that were the case, we could, we could reflect on this season to lane maybe a bowl win away from being a New Year's Six champion as well. It would be so sweet and sugar sweet. So that's why we're going to win 33-28. This one has been tough for me. Um, I, I see some positives in what we can, you know, what we can do against this Alabama team. I am probably also looking a little bit at the Alabama brand and what they bring to the table every season and putting this way too much into it. Um, I do think Alabama ekes this one out. I think it's me close. Um, I'm thinking 31 30. It's going to be a very close game throughout. Um, they make one play at the end of the game that, you know, keeps us, you know, it'd be, we'll be on offense driving fourth down. Um, it sucks, but I, I, I don't have, I don't have a great feeling about this game. Um, but I guess that has been a jinx for some games earlier this year where I said that and we won. So, um, that is how I'm feeling about this one. I'm thinking 31 30 Crimson Tide. I'm pretty sure I'm undefeated when picking the other team this season. So I'm going to go with Alabama. I think it's going to be a close one as well. I think it's going to be a slobber knocker, two really good defenses, Two really good offenses as well, but I just think it's – I think Bama's going to pull it off. Similar to Matt, I think it's going to be close, like final, final play of the game, like field goal situation. I've got Bama 23-20. I don't love it, but that's what I have. I forgot to mention my prediction for fireball shots for this one. Oh, um, Lord. Oh, Lord. So I'm, I'm really banking on being able to sneak some into this thing. So – um, I will, I'm going to put the, uh, over under at two and a half before the game and, uh, it's an 11 o'clock kick. So that means it's going to be a, a pretty, uh, a pretty early morning for old fireball, Matt. I'll be buying some shooters just so we can have some solidarity together. Hammer the over I for two it. and a half. Hammer the over. Hammer, Hammer the over. Hammer the over. Hammer it. Hammer it. Hammer it. I mean, collectively between the three of us, it might be like closer to eight, eight and a half. 
I'll be working during the game, so I'll be listening to it probably on the radio. I will say I am uh, K-State is undefeated when I'm at work, so that is for your discretion to take that out. Yay. (laughs) I'll take that. We we wish you were watching. All right. We wish you were watching. But oh man, that yes. is a good Agreed. that is a good stat to bring up, I guess. That's a great stat. Incredible. All right, boys, let's get to some bull pickums and let's get out of here. I know I've got dinner waiting for me uh, up in the up in the cabin. So let's get to our locks. So this is part two. We're going to cover the rest of the games between now and next Tuesday. I want to say the the second of January. Um, so as far as the records are concerned, and keep in mind, we've been on here for an hour and a half or so. So if anything happened in the last hour and a half, I haven't taken account of it. Um, but Chef is five and one and one. He's got one push. We all have one push. It's the Houston game because it was minus seven and Houston pushed. Um, I'm three and three and one. Matt is two, four and one. Um, those will obviously update with any games that happened here in the last hour and a half. I think Memphis, that was a game that was on. Uh, there was another game at some point, but we'll, we'll get to that at some point. Um, let's focus on the games from December 29th through January 2nd, and we'll start with the Pinstripe Bowl. So we've got at Yankee Stadium in New York City, very close to where Matt is at right now. Syracuse versus Minnesota. You've got Minnesota favored by 10 points, and the over-under is 52. Chef. What's the accent for upstate New York? Or do they have an accent? Because I want to do it, but I I don't. Ask the guy from upstate New York. (laughs) What's the accent for, uh, you're asking somebody what their accent. You know, I don't have, I admit, I don't have an accent compared to a lot of other people up here. But it has, it's very New York City-ish. It definitely spreads up from the south. Um, so it'd be like, yo, Syracuse, go orange. Okay, so I, a little bit of a, a – uh, let me just do an Andrew Dice Clay. Hey, yo, give me the orange of me. <laughs> that was good. I, you know what? You could be living in New York right now, and I wouldn't have any idea. <laughs> um, you're giving me 10 points for Syracuse, and I have a ton of flashbacks because of the pinstripe bowl against Syracuse. Um, that was wow, twelve years ago, I think. Um, yep. So I'm going. Uh, I'm going. Cuse. I hate them, but I'll, I'm. I'm going to go with Minnesota. I don't care for Minnesota. I think PJ Fleck is a hack and a worthless human being. But I'm going to go with uh, the Goofers. So we'll move on to twelve twenty nine, December twenty nine, Cheese It Bowl, Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. You've got. One of the defectors, the Oklahoma Sooners versus the Florida State Seminoles, who are allegedly back, some may say. The over-under is 66 total points. Okay, I would like to say that I did look at this outline, and you definitely changed after we both put our answer in here. I did, Um, because I I want to get points. I want to get points if Florida State loses this thing, so sorry. Oh, my God. Um, I'm picking Florida State. Uh, I do think they're a lot better than Oklahoma and I think they, they're going to have obviously the crowd advantage and Oklahoma does not give a shit about this. So 
I've also saw a tweet today that said it is not cheat. It's cheese it if it's a singular cheese it, and it's not cheese its if it's multiple cheese its. So it's cheese it crackers if it's more than one cheese it. So with that being said, go Knowles. I love the thought process behind the pick there. I'm going with the Sooners. Uh, I hate that, and it kills me. But I want to get some points on these guys. If two of them are going to pick Florida State, I've got to make some ground somewhere. That's just putting you farther behind. So whatever. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I think you're wrong. (laughs) December 29th, Alamo Bowl in the Alamo Dome. Just a beautiful, majestic dome where the UT Rejects play. UTSA Roadrunners meet meep playing San Antonio, Texas. You have the non-rejects of the University of Texas at Austin, minus three and a half versus the Washington Huskies of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 as some are referring to it now. Over under is 67 and a half points. Neither of you guys are from Texas, and you brought that up where it's University of Texas, San Antonio. So it's is it similar to like Ohio? We both lived in Texas. I will say that. Okay, but so when you when you go to those universities, are you going to the University of Texas at San Antonio? Is it or is it its whole? Is it it? It's an entire university separate. I'm confused now. It's a system. It's a university system. Yeah, it's a system. Okay, okay. So it's so similar like to UT like Arlington, Ohio. UT Dallas, yeah. UTSA. Oh, so it's like Ohio State at Pickerington. That's a little suburb in Ohio. Right. Similar. Or, but you know, you, you think about you think about the A&M system. You've got like Texas A&M Commerce or Texas A&M you know, there, there are a bunch of different, there's like four different oh, systems Lord. in Texas that are all different with different boards of regents. And there's the Texas tech system and the UT system and the A&M system. And it's a whole thing. Wow. And they have enough to field a football team. Anyway, hook them for this game. Hook them. Um, I'm actually going with the uh, Washington Huskies. I think uh, Washington's going to be, I do think Washington's a better team. I think they're better at the quarterback position and uh, I don't, I don't, I can't pick Texas. I just can't do it. Have you taken a look at the opt out list for Texas recently? Because it's pretty, you know, pretty significant. You've got Roshan Johnson. You've got Bijan Robinson. Not word. Who are the two best wide receivers, two best wide receivers with Washington has virtually zero. Not words or transfers. So I think that the Wisconsin or not Wisconsin, Washington Huskies, not the Wisconsin Huskies, they don't exist. The Washington Huskies are going to pull out the dub against Texas's second string. And we'll move on to the Orange Bowl at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, Miami, Florida, whatever. It's all the same thing. You got Tennessee versus Clemson. Clemson's favored by five and a half points, and the over/under is sixty-three and a half. I'm a uh, I'm all Tennessee on this one. I know obviously they don't have Hennon Hooker, um, but they still have some really good talent. And I think Clemson has been a little overrated this season. Um, and I don't think I needed to put a think in front of that. Uh, but I'm going the balls. The battle for the real orange team is going to go to the team that has purple 
in their colorways. That is always a good way to go. Go for the team that wears purple. But you say that they're overrated. The only reason they were overrated is because they finally they're, – they're not overrated anymore because they finally got out of that DJ Ula Ungalale experiment and finally put it in the hands of a real quarterback. It's Clemson <laughs> all the way, baby. The way you said his <laughs> last <laughs> name. <laughs> <laughs> That was honestly I'm going with that's, Tennessee as I, well, man. I tried my best. All right. <laughs> I'm going with Tennessee as well. I I mean, they've got a ton of people in the portal or opting out. I'm just it's Tennessee. Uh the only real injury for Tennessee right now is Hendon Hooker, so I'm hoping that they have enough time to prepare during bowl season to get ready for a very mid Clemson team. Uh both of these teams lost to the same South Carolina team also for whatever that's worth. Um, December 30th, Duke's Mayo Bowl, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. You've got NC State minus one versus Maryland. The over-under is 46. Who's getting doused in mayonnaise? Well, the coach for Maryland is a black man, and they don't eat mayonnaise. So go Wolfpack. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was not expecting that. Uh, I'm picking the Terps because that was probably a good pick because Maryland. I love Maryland. I am am unfamiliar with the racial nuances of mayonnaise, but I'm going to go with NC State. We'll go Wolfpack. Uh, (laughs) December 30th, the Sun Bowl at the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas. You have the UCLA Bruins minus five and a half versus the Pitt Panthers. The over-under is 53 and a half. UCLA, I think, is going to absolutely demolish Pitt in this game um, for some reason. I just have a I have a feeling I hit the over, hit the over on the five and a half. They're, they're winning. Yeah, I don't know anything about either one of these teams in, directly from watching them, especially Pitt. Uh, I think the last Pitt game that I saw was versus West Virginia and UCLA. I haven't watched them at all. I know their quarterback is really dynamic. Who knows if he's, if he's even playing, but I'm going Bruins. I think it's a clean sweep for us boys. That is a clean sweep for us boys. Um, I just think, I, yeah, I'm taking UCLA minus five and a half. I would take almost honestly an alternate spread of maybe even like 12 and a half or 13 and a half just to get some points and, and make some money off of it. Um, and I would hammer the over it's, I, I don't even think it's going to come close to 53 and a half points. I think it'll be closer to the 60, 70 range just based on UCLA alone, but moving on to the Gator bowl also on the 30th at TIAA bank field in Duval. You've got the Notre Dame fighting Irish favored by two points against the South Carolina Cox over under 51 and a half points. I'm picking, uh, picking Carolina for some reason. I know they have Spencer Rattler, a quarterback, and he's kind of a, can be a disaster sometimes against good teams, but I'm thinking that Carolina is going to win this one. I'm going domers and, and I'm going over the point spread as well. I think, uh, I think there's points going to be scored in this. Spencer Rattler's hit or miss, but I think he might be hitting. And Marcus Freeman's going to come out with a dub. 
Give me the cock. I love some cock. Hey, uh, Gamecocks. All right, December 30th, Arizona Bowl at Arizona Stadium in Tucson, Arizona, home of the Wildcats. Wyoming versus Ohio. Ohio's favored by one point. The over-under is 42 and a half points. All right, am I doing this right? O-H. I-O. You were a little there slow on the O-H. It's kind of just a O-H. And then Damn. I-O. O-H. I-O. Got it. Go Bobcats. Yeah, I'm going Bob Kitties as well. Anything Ohio, I'll represent it until it comes time to uh, put on for K-State. So go Bob Kitties. I'm going with the Fighting Craig Bulls of Wyoming. Not for any particular reason, but I feel like maybe that's a leading indicator to uh, climbing having some success on December 31st, which brings us to the Music City Bowl in Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, Iowa. Iowa is favored by two and a half points. I don't know if they've been favored by two and a half points all freaking season against the Kentucky Wildcats of the SEC. The over-under is 31 points. Wow. I'm trying to figure out how Iowa's favored in this game, but it is <laughs> same. I I I don't understand. Um, but obviously odds makers make their money somehow. So I am picking Kentucky because when I've seen Iowa play this year. It has been an actual natural disaster. So um, I don't fathom anyone watching that game. Nobody's going to watch it because they're going to be watching the premier matchup at the same time, Kansas State and Alabama. I'm not here for this Iowa slander. So offensive yards are probably the most overrated thing and overrated stat in all of football. So we're going to go Iowa, two defensive touchdowns scored. Go Hawkeyes. I'm going with Kentucky. I don't even think Iowa is going to score two and a half points uh, in this game. So I would hammer the under go or maybe, I don't know, maybe don't hammer, (laughs) maybe don't hammer the under. Kentucky might get 31 on their own. I don't think Iowa's going to score three points. You're ridiculous. Um, you are ridiculous. Sco- no, if they score, no. If they score points, it's going to be on a safety. Or oh, my God. You are Dakota ridiculous. State. You know what? This one, I also I can't wait for this one to blow up in your face. I can't wait for this one please, to end. Please, you know, I'll take the slander. This one will end to nothing. <laughs> Iowa doesn't I'll take the cover. Slander. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I also updated the overall standings because Memphis did get the victory and we all had Memphis. So Chef is 6-1-1, one, and one, I'm 4-3-1, and one, and Matt is 3-4-1. and one. So we do have an update there for all of you who are paying attention, which is probably none of you. Man, I'm taking the 31st. shit out of you guys. Andre's wow. this is not This is not the time to gloat, and there's a lot of bowl games left. December 31st, in the Caesar Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. You have the Sugar Bowl, the Kansas State Fighting Wildcats versus Alabama, who's favored by six and a half points. I forgot to put the over under, but I don't, you know, I'll find it. Um, I'm picking K State to cover based off of my score. I'm going Cats, money line, baby. 
I am also going cats on the spread. The over under is 56 for whatever it's worth. Um, but you know, I'm taking Bama as far as the, uh, you know, reverse jinx is concerned. So Bama money line for whatever that's worth for all of you who are paying attention. Uh, did chef just leave? Chef is not here anymore. Yeah. He was like, I, I, he already won the locks, so he doesn't need to provide any more. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, December 31st, New Year's <laughs> Eve, Fiesta Bowl, University of Phoenix stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, chef is back in the gallery. He's going to have to accept. Okay, there we go. Uh, what chef, happened, we got man? TC. We, dude, you just left. You just left. I <laughs> got booted. We're doing the Fiesta Bowl. I didn't oh, touch Lord. any. Oh, get out Yo, of here. Call, it, call it Andre's Locks again, and you're going to get booted, all right? <laughs> I, I knew it was No, you. I didn't actually boot you, but I will. You do it again. Fiesta Bowl, December 31st, New Year's Eve, University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. You have our friendly foe, the TCU Horned Frogs versus Michigan, who's favored seven and a half points. The over-under is 58 and a half total points. Chef, now that you're back, who do you have in this matchup? I got them Wolverines, baby. Um. <laughs> I uh I am picking TCU to cover. Uh I think this game is gonna be be close. I do. Um I don't think Michigan overpowers TCU as much as people have been talking about. And we've seen Max Duggan through this season. He's willed this team to close wins. And I think this is gonna be one of those where it's gonna be close, but Michigan figures out a way to win in the fourth quarter. Um, so hopefully a fun matchup. Fire up the hypnotote. I'm also taking TCU to cover. I would also probably take the points and in, in the money line to win. So I'm I'm going with hypnotode and TCU. Again, New Year's Eve, Peach Bowl, Mercedes-Benz Stadium and ATL. This is the other college football playoff semifinal game in addition to TCU Michigan. We've got Ohio State, Chef's favorite Buckeyes, versus the Georgia Bulldogs, who we got. The over-under is 62, and Georgia's favored by six and a half points. Georgia. I got the Buckeyes here, and I might even take the over? Yeah, I think I'd take the over with the Buckeyes winning. As well. I will say, if this game goes over 62, I can't see Stetson Bennett, <laughs> the derpy Stetson Bennett, having to lead this team to score more than 30 or 40 points. <laughs> I don't know. I I just – I have an issue. I, I think Georgia needs this to be under 62. Is he the guy I call I agree. Dobby? Yes, is he, he is Dobby, from Dobby the house elf. Yes, he, he looks just like Dobby. He's just, I don't know. He's got a weird vibe. I'm i am not with it, but I'm with the dogs. I've got the dogs covering six and a half. Ohio State, I don't know. To, to Fireball Matt's point, if this game is over 62 points, Ohio State's definitely got more than a fair shot to win that game. So I'm going with the dogs, but I don't know. That's going to be interesting. We'll We'll have to keep tabs on that and see what happens there. All right, we're in the final stretch. We got four games left, and then we'll call it for the night. 
January 2nd, ReliaQuest Bowl at Raymond James Stadium, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've got Mississippi State, the fighting Mike Leeches, God rest his soul, versus Illinois and the fighting Brett Bielema's. The over-under is 46 points. Chef, you put like a weird like four L's there or I's. Well, it is one capital L in iPhone text. So it's one capital L, one capital I, two lowercase L's, then a lowercase I. That is a lie. Nye, maybe? Illy? Whatever. Doesn't matter. I think uh, no offense to Mike Leach and uh, the program that he has built there, but uh, his death is not great for the situation going on for a game. So I think Illinois takes advantage of that and wins. I think uh, I think the team will come together and get a win for him, which would be really special, definitely to watch. Um, and uh, they're Bulldogs, you know, the the best dog. So go Bulldogs. I was just Googling to see if FBS teams have a good record when a coach dies, but I couldn't find that stat very quickly. I just saw a lot of obituaries, <laughs> and I do – I do I do want to give Mike Leach his due. That dude is awesome. I love him so much. He's incredible. I'm going with the dogs. Hail State. Rest in peace, Mike. Rest in peach. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. Uh, just an absolute boss. He changed the game forever. I'm all in on Mississippi State in this game. January 2nd, also, Citrus Bowl at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. A different game in the same state. LSU is favored by 14 and a half points. That's a lot versus Purdue, the future home of Hudson Card. Over under is 55 and a half points. Chef, who you got? I got the Tigers. Go Tigers. But, uh, I mean, so if I pick LSU, that's money line, right? Do they have to cover the 14 and a half? No, we're doing spread. So if you're going to cover the spread, then then you got to go Purdue. God damn. They're missing a, they don't have a head coach either. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Tigers. I'm going Tigers. Tigers. I don't know. That's a lot of points to have to cover in the game, but I don't I, I'm gonna go with LSU anyway. Go Tigers. That was that was spot on. That was spot on. Moving on to the Cotton Bowl Classic at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. Most recent college team to win a game there is your fighting Kansas State Wildcats. And guess who is playing there? The most recent G5 team to beat the Kansas State Wildcats in Tulane, who's playing USC, who's favored by two and a half points and is 0-2 all-time against the Kansas State Wildcats. Over under 62 points in this game. Who you got, the Green Wave or the Condoms? (laughs) Um, I am... I'm thinking USC. Um, I think from the the, the quarterback play, uh, you know, Caleb Williams is playing. I I think he's gonna do wonders against this. I, I not, I'm not downplaying Tulane, but I think USC ha- has the more talented players. The factor of they don't give a shit about the game is definitely going to be interesting to watch. But I'm picking USC. I'll say this. They don't like tackling at USC. And 
as much as they, they might not have the stars next to their name, but they are a damn physical team. I'm going Green Wave. Force USC to tackle you, hurt Caleb Williams, and you're good. Utah strategy. And there you have it. I'm also going with the Green Wave. Not for any reason other than I just want that loss to not look as bad when we look back on this in 10 years. So go to Lane, the final game on the bowl slate for this season before we get to the championship, which we'll cover probably next week, is the Rose Bowl game at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. You've got the Penn State Nittany Lions versus the Utah Utes, who always get up for this Rose Bowl game, and they are favored by two and a half points with an over-under of 52 and a half points, Chef. I'm all with them Paterno boys, baby. Give me Penn State, State Penn, Nittany's. I was going to make a really poor taste joke with how you said that. Um, but I'm going ref- to refrain. Uh, fuck Penn State. Go Utah. I'm missing the joke. I I don't feel like making that right now. <laughs> we need to keep our brand. We'll see. We'll see you in the chat later on, though. Uh, and on that note, I'm going with Utah. I'm going with the Utes. They always get up for the Rose Bowl. Penn State has been ass all season. Um, they've kind of just skidded by. So I'm going with the Utes. They're a legitimately very good team, and they beat USC twice, and it's hard to beat a team twice. On that note, I've got our outro here, unless anybody wants to talk hoops or has anything else that they want to mention. I have uh, I have one thing. Um, so I know for a lot of people, we're probably – affected um, for people that are going down to New Orleans with the whole Southwest Airlines debacle that they're having right now. So um, for a lot of you, if you have had a flight cancellation or delay um, between December 24th and January 2nd, um, so for some people coming up Thursday, Friday uh, down in New Orleans, um, they are um, having, they are allowing you to send in any receipts for any hotel other airline tickets, rental cars, situations like that, if your flight did get canceled. Um, so make sure to save those receipts, send them over to Southwest. Um, I know that's going to keep some people from going, but hopefully people have been paying attention and, you know, looking out for other tickets, you know, rental cars, so you can make it down there. But I uh, just wanted to say that. Hope to see everybody down there. Couldn't agree more. And and I had a I had to delay back in April with Southwest that I think was about two hours. And they told me at the desk that if the delay is more than two hours, you're entitled to your money back or at least a voucher. So definitely follow Matt's advice. Contact them. I know there are a lot of different avenues as well. If you can't get a hold of them on the domestic support line, so try some of the international lines that are in English, like Bahamas or Cayman Islands, whatever it might be. Uh, there are a lot of different different avenues to be able to get a hold of them. And some of those international lines are, are moving more quickly in the queue than the domestic lines here in the U.S. So definitely take advantage, do some research. My, my sister and brother-in-law were impacted by that as well. Um, so definitely take advantage of it. If a multi-billion dollar company is willing to give you some money, you should, you should get, your, get your fair share out of that. But with that, for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, Go to the game at West Virginia. If you're not going to the game in New Orleans, go to the game for West Virginia in Manhattan. Um, you know, if your flight does get canceled and you can't find a way to get down there, um, 
there's going to be a lot of need for people in Bramlage. So we'll, we'll take whatever we can get uh, for folks to, to go to both games if we can and go to the women's game too, if you, if you can't make it to, to New Orleans, but to everybody in the live room, to everybody listening on the feed and everybody who contributed this week, thank you very much. Next week, we're going to do a more thorough preview of some of the other matchups that we have for the college football playoff final. And then we'll also recap the Alabama game uh, regardless of what happens. So we'll be here next week. Um, be ready to bring the same heat that you bring every week and give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify to be notified when new episodes drop. Leave us a review with your feedback on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find us, and then follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. And I am your commissioner at Bob Trollsby. Chef, is that? Uh, chef, oh, God, that was a big burp. Uh, at Chef Andre Napier and Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat Country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride.